good. Amen. His presence is so, so, so good. Um, in this series, we've been talking about intimacy, and this is the last day. We'll, we're going to talk about really happy things next week. <laughs> um, but in this series, really, I, I truly believe, number one, there's a few goals. Number one, I want everyone in the room to understand why God says what he says. Truth rings true. Oh, kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church. There's Miss Twyla waving at you. If kids are in fifth grade or below, there's a class for them they're welcome to go to. If you're visiting and you want to see where they're going, you're welcome to do that. But especially, I think, for younger generations, the indoctrination has been so heavy um, into really like an anti-Christ view of sex, sexuality, intimacy, um, that we need to just talk about what God says and why he says it. Like there are whole generations that have never even heard it. Everyone's already braced. Everyone's already okay. Right? And so one of my goals is I want everyone in the room to understand theologically what God says and why he says it. And then also we're looking for freedom in the house. How many of you know you can get snared up in issues having to do with intimacy? Whether it's just in isolating yourself or in trying to find intimacy in the wrong places, there are snares all over the place when it comes to intimacy, right? Three of us are willing to be like, yeah, we, we totally agree. And so there needs to be freedom in the house. There are places that God is taking us where we can't have rot. You know what I'm saying? You can't be like going further and further in, in these areas and keep rot here. You know what I'm saying? At some point, you've got to be like, God, you've got to deal with this too. It can't go where we're going, where you're taking me. How many of you can feel that, right? Okay, so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. She is adorable. Okay, Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, um, such a person is an idolater. Let's see. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, and aside, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil." Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good stuff, right? So there's a lot there. But what does he say? Don't be drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery. Be filled with the soul with the Spirit. What is he saying? You can feed your flesh on things. Like we were made to want to have these transcendent experiences, right? Right? Aren't there moments where maybe even with friends, like it's just so pure and you feel like your hearts are so close, it feels like this feels a little bit like heaven. Do you ever have those experiences where it just feels you've kind of transcended just the, like the darkness of this world and just for a minute there was like the truth in what you were sharing with somebody else, right? There was an intimacy, a closeness. It was really transcendent. Or there's times where you just feel so free, right? If you've ever just had like a good old like, like nasal cleansing cry at the altar, right? If you haven't, you should. If you've ever just had one of those where you just got undone before the Lord, and you get up and you just feel so free, do you know what I'm talking about? You just feel like, man, I could just soar because you've like been in his presence and it's transcendent, right? There's, I'm experiencing something different than when I'm going to get out and get in my car and get cut off by like that SUV, right? And we long for that, that feeling of freedom, that feeling of nearness. And here's the thing. There are counterfeits for that. You can get drunk with wine and be a fool and that is like a counterfeit for that lightness, but how many of you know it will ruin your life? And what he's saying is you can feed this walking in the light. There are counterfeits that you can feed that deep need for intimacy, that deep need for the freedom that comes in God. You can feed that with things that feed your flesh, but they're going to ruin your life. He says instead, how about this? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's really what you're longing for. Yeah? So what he's saying is not, hey, don't do all these things. He's saying you were actually made for something better. Don't let these things destroy your life and come in and take their place. And then 1 Peter 2, 7 through 12. It's talking about the stone. The stone it's talking about is Jesus, right? Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything that God is doing in our lives is built on him. And 1 Peter 2, 7 through 12 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. How many of you know, before you accepted Jesus, you were probably irritated a bit by people sharing the gospel, right? The stone can, this stone, you can build your life on it, this cornerstone, but if you reject it, it'll be a stone that makes you stumble and a rock that makes you fall. Right? but you're going to have to do something with the stone that your life was meant to be built on. I've said this before, but think about it this way. I do not believe in unicorns. I don't believe they exist. I think they are a fantasy. But I don't spend my whole life angry about unicorns. I don't write screeds about how there are no unicorns. I don't argue with everyone who thinks there's a unicorn. It doesn't consume any of my time or energy. 
So why, when people don't believe in Scripture, they don't believe the story of the gospel, why is it so consuming for them? Why is so much anger, bro? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a little extra. It's because you're going to have to do something with Jesus. Okay. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which, that is, which is also what they were destined for. The message that you can accept or reject, you are destined for this message. You are destined for the gospel. Um, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We were not made for the darkness. Because of the fall, we find ourselves in darkness and brokenness, but we were not made for it. Amen? He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners in exile, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So good. Live as children of light so that those who are still in darkness can see he is real. Right? If my life looks like or just marginally better than those who are in darkness, light doesn't look that good. And not just for others to see, but honestly, like, if you can live in the light, why stay in any darkness? Seriously. Why stay in any darkness? So in thinking about, we have these scriptures as background now, as we come to this idea of intimacy, the fact is we were made for intimacy, to be really known and to really know people. One, uh, one powerful way of creating intimacy, specifically designed for one other person and you, is sex. And so we're dealing with that because that has gotten so screwed up in our society. So we're just setting some things right. But there are a lot more ways to um, foster intimacy besides sex. And in fact, we need to learn how to do that. It's why we end up putting sex into everything where it doesn't belong. Because we've forgotten how to actually have real relationships. We've forgotten to ha how to actually be committed to people in relationship and friendship, um, even when you see the ugly stuff come out, right? If you're going to have true intimacy, then you're really going to see what's inside of people, and they're really going to see what's inside of you. And that's not awesome every day. But, you know, nothing creates intimacy like somebody seeing you at your worst and still showing up tomorrow. Yeah? And we long for that kind of connection. Don't we? In all kinds of relationships that we have. So we're made for intimacy. We are made for intimacy with God and with others, right? Out of God's overflow of love, he creates man. Let us make man in our image, right? Creatures that can actually have relationship with us. Let us make man in our image. And then um, God saw, you know what? It's not good for Adam to be alone. This is before the fall. He saw that Adam needed human beings in his life. Specifically one human being, Eve, right? 
And so he makes male and female in his image. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, where Adam and Eve decide, you know what, we will be like God. We'll decide what's right and wrong. And they sin against God, and Genesis 3 tells us everything gets broken then in the fall. Our relationship to God gets fractured in the fall. Our relationship to each other gets fractured in the fall. There were no fights before the fall. All of a sudden, he's like, it's her fault. She, right? I mean, all of a sudden, there's this separation now where there had been intimacy between man, right? So we're separated from each other in the fall. Our relationship to nature is fractured in the fall. Sin and sickness and death enter the world through sin, right? Romans tells us. And then, well, more than just Romans, but you can read it in Romans 5 and, and following through 8. And also, our relationship to ourselves gets fractured, right? Our worst arguments happen right in here, <laughs> right? Our worst critics are right in here. But Jesus has come to undo the works of the enemy. And Jesus has come to make all things new. And so we don't have to settle for, we're just broken and I'm just broken. He has come to make all things new in this world and in me. And so we shouldn't settle for how it is in darkness. We should be hungry for righteousness and being in the light where he's making all things new. Amen? So dealing specifically with sex, as we have been the past couple of weeks, because it's a powerful tool for intimacy, and it's being so misused and, and, and in misguided ways, and the indoctrination is heavy. For those of you millennial and the millennial generation and younger, I mean, it is... It's like everything you see is telling you the opposite of what's true. If you believe what the word of God says is true, which you don't have to believe that, but if you believe that, every messaging you're getting in the world is complete nonsense when it comes to intimacy and sex. Complete nonsense. Everything gets broken in the fall, but you can't mess with design. God still designed intimacy and sex the way he designed it. And when we get the design out of order, we begin to have compounded problems in our life. It begins to touch a lot, right? Not just the one thing, it begins to touch a lot of things. So when it comes to sexual relationships, um, the Bible says there's one context for it. It's within marriage. And marriage being defined by God as one man and one woman. But Pastor Rachel, there were people in the Bible who had multiple wives and blah, 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 and none of it turned out good, right? I mean, <laughs> there's never a point where the Bible's like, yeah, a few wives is fine. The fact that a story exists in the Bible doesn't say what they did is right, right? Judas betraying Jesus isn't okay, even though no New Testament author stops to say, and by the way, Jesus shouldn't have, Judas shouldn't have betrayed Jesus. We know he shouldn't have because we can read the rest of the story, Right? When you read about Abraham, you're like, well, Abraham, he had his wife, and then he had this concubine, Hagar. Read the rest of the story. It doesn't end well. Thank you, Abraham. Palestinian-Israeli crisis we are still dealing with today, right? The Middle East. This all started with Abraham and the two chicks. That's where it started. Not a good idea. So when people say things like, well, in the Bible, the Bible is telling us narratives of what happened and how even though we failed, God still intervened and rescued people. Thank God. Thank God. But what he made was one man, one woman, and Jesus reiterates this in the New Testament. Jesus says, for this purpose, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, because God made them male and female to be joined together. And so we call this marriage covenant. The Bible has a covenant for marriage. This is very different than how our world talks about marriage, how our culture talks about marriage, the American culture. In the American culture, falling in love, which is a total made-up idea, but falling in love and getting married is about, this person makes me feel so good. This person is meeting all of my needs. So we should get married. Or maybe we should live together first to make sure they keep fulfilling all my needs. <laughs> but that's not what the Bible says marriage is. The marriage covenant is completely opposite than that. A marriage covenant says, hmm, who is the person I'm going to serve for the rest of my life? This is what the man asks himself and the woman asks herself. Who's the person I'm going to serve for the rest of my life, not be served by? And so my role in if I have a covenant of marriage, which isn't for everybody, Paul says, hey, if you're single and you could do awesome stuff for the Lord, God bless you. Like there's not just one way to the Christian life, but for those who get married, what is covenant about? I am responsible to God for who Mitch is at the end. Like he's responsible too, but I have a role to play in that. And so my goal is like, Jesus has a design for our lives. Let's try to get there. Like, right? So his goal should be, I want to see her get there. I want to see her get as close to or at what God has made her to be as she can be. And how can I help that? How can I partner with God in that? My goal for him should be, God has made him for amazing things. How can I partner to see that happen? That's my role. Not to see if he made the coffee this morning, because, right, I need to be, I'm the queen. <laughs> Come on now. It's such a pitiful, it's such a pitiful way that our culture envisions marriage. So guess what? If, if Mitch is going to become everything God made him to be, that means he's going to go through a series of changes as he goes further up and further in. And I don't know about you, but when God comes and brings transformation to an area of your life, almost every time something yucky comes up first, right? Because it's leaving so something else can come. How many of you have found that to be true? So if my goal is like, I just... What do I need to say so there's not a fight? What do I need to say? So, no, we're going somewhere. So guess what? We're going to have a hard conversation sometimes. We're going somewhere. So tough things are going to come out. And I will still be here in the morning, and he will still be there in the morning. Because we're going somewhere with Jesus. We can do hard things together. Because we have a covenant in sickness and in health. Till death do us part, for better or for worse. Yeah? That's covenant. And here's the important thing about that. Only a marriage covenant is a strong enough foundation to support sex. A marriage covenant is the only foundation strong enough to support something as powerful as sex. Um, if you're visiting with us, I did give a warning a couple weeks ago. I hope we're good. <laughs> if you have younger people, and I don't know what you do at this point, but <laughs> we're a little committed at this point. But 
Okay, just grace. If you could just have some grace for me. Okay. So if you think about what a strange thing God has given us, this tool of intimacy for marriage, because if you talk about intimacy, like really being known, like, come on. Our culture portrays it as like this steamy kind of whatever. And I'm not saying like you get, right, as, as the marriage goes on, you get, but listen, if you've done things God's way, you're super stupid at first. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And that's beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing that you get married and you're like, okay, I don't know. Okay, I don't know either. Like, not that you don't know basic things, but come on. It's not as intuitive as you think it is. And I'm going to leave it at that, but I'm just saying that is part of the joy of it. And I am saying this for a purpose, not to push boundaries. I'm saying this because what our culture has put all kinds of pressure to perform on sex. And so what does this do? Pushes people toward things like porn and, right? Because they feel like they should know stuff they don't know. And no, the joy of it is the two of you don't know a thing. That's the joy. You don't know a thing. You get to be stupid together. (laughs) And talk about vulnerability, even if you're like Adonis, it's still weird to be naked in front of people. (laughs) That's that's a vulnerable position to be in. You You think about how many layers of things go into intimacy from this one thing that God created for marriage. How much of yourself you expose, literally and figuratively, when it comes to sex. And I'm telling you, God never intended that for you to be in a position where you're that exposed with someone and they leave in the morning. He never intended that for you, for your spirit, and for your soul because it's crushing. It's crushing. Or to be in a relationship for a period of time and they just grow tired of you or you grow tired of them, which means your heart's gotten kind of hardened and then they're done with you after you've exposed that much of your soul. Yeah, another, another thing. God never intended that for you. There is a, I think there's a slide for this one um, and you can, I mean, there's all kinds of reports in this now. This is just one I picked out from Psychology Today. There is an alarming rate of depression going up and up and up and up among people 30 years and younger. It's alarming. Suicide rate, steadily climbing. And there is a distinct link between sexual promiscuity and depression in teens. It's like not even debatable anymore. Why? Because only covenant can support that kind of relationship. Okay. There's also in this idea um, intimacy apart from covenant, or this idea of um, you can come off the you can come off the link, babe. Even this idea of covenant, non-covenant marriage, just the marriage where our culture thinks of it, it's easily dissolvable. We move from one relationship to the next relationship, and if marriage is about you make me happy, well, once I'm not happy anymore, what does that mean? Some of you know J.P. Dorsey. He was here a few weeks ago. He spoke here. He's president at North Point up in Grand Rapids. He posted this in his wallet. I love, he thinks very deeply on issues of marriage. And I love the things he posts. But think about this. 
let this just kind of hit us straight between the eyes and let it disabuse all these ideas our culture puts about falling in love. And here's what he says. He says, phrases and ideas that involve, quote, falling out of love should be banned. Should be banned. They describe a non-reality, an action that doesn't exist. Instead, we should be forced to choose from phrases that describe the real reasons we abandon each other after having promised we would love people forever. So here are the options he gives. One, you have stopped entertaining me and making me feel good and as special as I deserve. Really, you're just a product, apparently a defective one, because I'm no longer happy. So I'm returning you while you're still under warranty. The second option he gives, I'm more important than you, and I am definitely deserving of love. You are not. Two, or the third, the third option he gives, I'm not capable of admitting that I'm broken, and if I could, I'd understand that you are too, and that you are worth being forgiven like me. But I live under the delusion that I'm perfect, or at least more perfect than you. The fourth option he gives, I'm worthy of someone better than you, even though by abandoning you, I am proving that I lack the ability to follow through with commitments I have made and to be faithful to people I have made promises to. What if we didn't allow ourselves to say things like, I just fell out of love. What if we actually had to choose the truth, which is, you are just a commodity. You are here to do something for me, and you're no longer doing it, so I'm done. What if we had to face that kind of superficiality about ourselves? Right? It might lead us to repentance. Now listen, it's always hard to talk on these issues because people have a wide range of experiences. And there are some marriages that needed to end. Some of you in this room were in a relationship that needed to end. So this isn't about judging that. It's about reorienting ourselves to what God says is true. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I have not done stuff God's way. I haven't led my sexual life God's way. I haven't done marriages God's way. Listen, here's the hopeful thing. People, when Paul was preaching, they were like, oh my goodness, we didn't do stuff God's way. What do we do now? Do I divorce this wife and find my last wife? And Paul says, stay right where you are. <laughs> right where you are. When you receive the truth and you hear the truth, now live out of that truth. Because guilt and condemnation is not going to help you at all. Living out of shame is not going to help you at all. Turn what Satan meant to harm you into your testimony so you help guide other people. They can miss the pitfalls you, you, you had. Yeah? You don't have to be powerless in the house because all of us can look at our life and say, this was not done God's way. And sometimes we even know the truth and we still weren't living in the truth. And sometimes we end up in situations that are really, really bad situations that don't fit into what I'm talking about here. Right? Some people have had to leave marriages not because they fell out of love, but because they needed to leave. So listen, no condemnation in the house. If you put your stuff in Christ... No condemnation in the house. Can we just do that? Because we still need to talk about this stuff. So you know, there are people that need to hear what God says. And so don't let Satan come at you with old stuff or with lies, right, about your situation. Stay where you are, <laughs> right? Stay where you are. Okay. So it's a marriage covenant. Only marriage covenant can support a sexual relationship. The other thing that's really prominent in our society, see, last week we talked about things that few people 
you know, we talked about um, homosexuality, our, our culture view of homosexuality and transsexuality. Um, and the thing about the topic last week is only 2% of the population identifies as homosexual and only 0.02% identifies trans. Which means in some ways it's an easier sermon. <laughs> because every single one of us are broken sexually. Whether it's you're heterosexual and, you, and you've got to deal with lust that you've got to bring in, right? When we say things like people are just born that way, yeah, broken, broken. All of us are born that way, broken. And God says, here's the way to life. You don't have to live in brokenness. Here's the way to life. What we're talking about this week, which is how we, main, how we conduct our own sexual lives, this affects every single person in the room. Whether you've been saved for 40 years or whether you're still wondering what you think about Jesus, this affects all of us. One way that the enemy uses to um, uh, corrupt um, our ability to have intimacy, specifically um, in, se- in our sexuality, is through pushing people very early to porn. And it's everywhere in our culture right now. Everywhere in our culture. And it is so normalized that I think the younger you are, the more you feel like something's wrong with you if you're not doing porn. If you're not having sex randomly, something's wrong with you. Think about people in our culture like Russell Simmons or Tim Tebow. Like these are like fit young guys, athletes. You think they could say, hey, I'm living this way. People say, oh, that's great. No, people are like, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with that guy? We make movies like the 40-year-old virgin. Like, oh my goodness, such a thing exists. Right? Think about that messaging. Something's wrong with you if you're, if you're doing it God's way. <clears throat> and part of that is porn. It's so everywhere. I, I do not, everyone has stuff they struggle with. Less, this, this area has never been an issue for me. I got other stuff. This has not been an issue for me. So I don't have any searches that would cause people to come and find me. And I still get invitations to come to really weird places. It's not even like you've got to go and search it out. It will come and find you. It's like the Proverbs say, um, the father says, my son, tie a yarn around your finger to remind yourself, don't go down this street because those women live there, (laughs) right? Don't even walk on the street. Stay really, really far away from it. Tie a string around your finger to remind yourself you're not walking down that street, right? There's not even like a street you have to go to. It is finding you. It's one of the reasons, and I'll just say this, parents, you got to do what you got to do. You make decisions for your kids. I'm only saying this to give parents maybe support who are kind of going counterculture with phones. We've already told our kids, we're not getting phones. We're not getting phones. And you know what? They're fine. They're fine with it. In fact, they'll go hang out with people and be like, everyone's on their phone the whole time. How stupid is that, right? So they're like totally counterculturing it like, you know, My nine-year-old and my 11-year-old and my 15-year-old do not need unfettered access to the internet. But you can put on blockers, not good enough. I'm just telling you, so any parent that's having that struggle, I'm just telling you, if you're wanting to go the opposite direction, we'll encourage you. Because you can do it. 
When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, your boyfriend called. You know what happened? The phone in the kitchen rang. (laughs) And it was plugged into the wall. And you had to stand there while your whole family listened and have your conversation. That's not all bad. That's not all bad. But it's so everywhere. Um, and we, obviously, we can't delve too deeply into it because you just don't have time to do it. But I just want to show you some, just some statistics just to get you thinking about how pervasive some of these issues are. Um, when it comes to porn, the economics of porn. And I've got the, if you can see them, I can always give you, if you want um, copies of the screen credits because you want to go look up the, the studies, you can get those. I've got them there if you can read it. Um, but globally, pornography is estimated to be a $97 billion a year business. The U.S. accounts for $12 billion of that total. Child pornography is a $3 billion a year business. Child pornography. Okay, next one. The prevalence of it in the U.S. Men, 81% of teenage and young adult men have looked at porn, and 67% do so monthly. 65% of men over 25 have looked for porn, and 47% seek it out monthly. Women, 56% of women under age 25 have looked for porn, with 33% doing so monthly. 27% of women over age 25 have looked for porn, 12% monthly. Internet exposure. 71% of young adults say they come across porn on the internet at least once a month, even if they are not looking for it. And almost 50% say this happens weekly. Weekly. 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image, and 41% of this age group have sent one. All right, next one, the moral view in the U.S., Overall, according to a 2017 Gallup poll, 36% of people find pornography morally acceptable. Among teens and young adults, only 32% say viewing porn is usually or always wrong. 43% of men thought viewing pornography was morally acceptable, but only 25% of women thought so. All right, next one. Violence and escalation, child porn. According to the FBI, one website on the top server, which I um, took the name out because I don't want to promote it, um, had, a 1.3, had 1.3 million images depicting children subjected to violent sexual abuse. Another child porn site was found to be, ha- have 200,000 registered users. This site was accessed 100,000 times during one 12-day period. FBI News, um, April 25th, 2017, Um, that's where it comes from, Um, abuse of women. In 2010, a study of 50 popular pornography videos, I'm going to read from my notes so I can read it better, Um, it was discovered that 88% of the scenes contained physical violence and 49% contained verbal aggression. 95% of the victims, mainly women, appeared to have either a neutral or positive response to the abuse. Think about that. And what that's hardwiring into still malleable minds. Personal application. 36% of young adults watch pornography for tips on things to try in their own sexual relationships. Escalation to more extreme material. In one study, 49% of men who use pornography regularly reported looking at material that they previously either had no interest in or had found disgusting. Which tells you the more you expose yourself to it, the greater your capacity, right, 
to numb your moral center that tells you this is wrong, this is disgusting, and then where your curiosity will take you places you never would have gone. It's not a static thing you do. It escalates. It ruins your mind. It ruins your heart on these issues. It is not possible to use other people and their bodies for your pleasure, to use them as commodities and not have it affect your heart. It isn't possible. And we talk in terms of porn, but a lot of what's on TV, it may not, you know, they may cover up just the right parts, but it's really porn for your mind. What your mind is seeing is porn, right? So we've got to ask ourselves, if we're going to live in the light, what does that look like? Can we use people in this way and live in the light? Or won't we be horribly conflicted, right? There's some stuff that's going to have to go if he's going to take us where he wants to take us. Can't stay. And there's people who I need to convince it's not morally okay, but for a lot of people in the church, they already know it's not morally okay, but it's taken a foothold. And so now it's doubly bad because now there's a self-loathing. You hate that you do it. You know it's wrong. Part of it disgusts you, and yet you set a pattern. But how many of you know you can start new patterns today? How do you actually experience transformation according to scripture? By the renewing of your mind. Those pathways can get rewired. There's a really cool book that Nicole um, suggested to me last week, and I'm, I'm just digesting it now, but it's called, um, can you give the formal title? The Rewiring... Wired for Intimacy. It is a good read, full of studies you can see, but it, looking at porn wires these pathways in your mind of how you view people and creates tremendous amounts of isolation. The exact of intimacy. Because you're turning on these centers of your brain, but you're not actually having to relate to a person. It's all just serving you. But the good news is, when you begin to take hold of those thoughts and replace them, Say, God, come in. I want to be holy like you're holy. And you begin to replace those thoughts. When your mind wants to go here, you take it somewhere else where God wants to take it. Guess what happens? You can rewire your brain to holiness, to righteousness. You're not stuck. This is not just a guy issue. They are coming for your girls. <laughs> they are coming for your girls for sure. One, I think uh, porn viewing among women has gone up drastically, but also just the porn culture, how it affects things that are targeted specifically to teen girls. And I don't, again, I'm sorry, we're gonna, I'm just going to go to one place. I could go in a lot of directions. It's really bad. I'm just going to go to one place. And especially I want to show, for those of you who are younger, how they take advantage of the fact you haven't lived through more history. Um, okay, so um, magazines like Cosmopolitan, Vogue, L. These are poison for your soul. They are poison for your soul. Um, I just have a couple of covers. I'm going to skip that because we're going to run out of time, babe. I've got a couple of covers. Look at, this is geared towards teenagers, the Cupid dolls and the this is written to your teenage girls. Is everyone having anal sex without me? With a Cupid doll. Come on. 
This is insidious, right? Are you all seeing that? Okay, next one, and we won't do many. Everything you could possibly need to know about anal sex. This is from Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue. Okay, take it off because it's really gross. Okay. Okay, so I just want to give you just a little perspective because I think our culture, um, we are the counterculture. The church is the counterculture. So our culture is like pressing women and men to view things a certain way. And I just want you to stop and think because truth is true. Truth rings true and it's logical. So think about this. I'm just going to tell you. If I can use this one example of this pushing of anal sex on young people. So I'm 46, born in 1972. I know that's super old for some of you and whatever. I'm in the middle right now. Okay. When I was in high school, I did a lot of theater in high school and then starting in college. Um, and so that crowd tended to be out of the box crowd. They tended to be willing to be people who would experiment with all kinds of crazy things. Um, and many of them were my friends, right? So this was not like the prude crowd. This was the, this was the crazy crowd. Okay. Among the heterosexual men in the theater scene that I was in, both in high school and the beginning of college, none of them, none of them had anal. I'm saying it quiet. I don't know why. I'm none of them in <laughs> You know how I know? Because they had words for guys who did that. And they were, they were pejorative. Believe me, they were pejorative. They were really, like, they didn't want to go anywhere where poop came out. Like, that was not. And so they had words for people who did that kind of stuff. These were the crazy people. These were the not saved crazy people. And those guys weren't doing that. So I can look at Teen Vogue and be like, what a lie. What a lie. But if you're 12, 13, 14, 15, and these cool, like Teen Vogue, these are like the, right? The she-she people. Um, this is what they're saying. Everybody must do that. That must be what a, this must be. There was another, I didn't put her more, they were so bad. But there was one that was like what he really wants. That was the, for, from Teen Vogue, what he really wants. And then it was like a list of stuff that like will destroy your life. But you start thinking like, oh, this must be what he really wants. If I want someone to love me, if I want them to connect with me, if I want them to stay with me, then these are things I will give them because Teen Vogue told me this is true. What a lie. What a lie. And it's from the pit of hell. Listen, within marriage, the Bible says, the marriage bed is undefiled. So here are the rules within marriage. There's got to be agreement between a husband and wife in terms of your sexual. There's got to be agreement. And then two, you can't physically harm people. You can't physically harm people. Like these are principles in scripture, right? So unless you want a colostomy bag when you're 35, this is a bad idea. I'm just being real with you. This is about, you know what? In those articles, at no point do they mention the rate of people who end up with colostomy bags from having anal. This is important information. Listen, the people who are like 40 and over are laughing these embarrassed laughs because they know it's totally true. And I'm sorry, because you probably didn't need to hear that. But listen, there's some folks in here that have never heard it and they need to hear. You are being sold lies sold total lies. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. They will harden your heart. They will make you so isolated through using sex in ways that God never intended. 
that you feel hopeless by the time you're 25. And you've got a colostomy bag by the time you're 35. Reject him. Reject his lies. You have worth. You are worth far more than being someone's plaything, so maybe they'll stay. I uh, read an article. It was too much to put up, but it was by a Christian guy. It was just he was trying to speak really bluntly because his audience isn't Christians. And one of the things he said was, um, he said, ladies, you are worth someone having to look you in the face if they're having sex with you. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just, right, there should be this sense of... Uh, do you understand like what we are doing to both men and women? We're telling men like all you want is sex. That isn't true. Do you know what men? God has made you so strong. He has made you so strong for a reason. He's given you wide shoulders so you can do great hard things in life. Come on. There's, I, there's this example of how God has made men that I love. I've just read it recently. But um, the, the picture is a huge semi-truck, Right? God has made men able to bear up under hard things and bring order to the chaos of this world. Um, and so the imagery is men are like a semi-truck. When semi-trucks are full, have a full load, they drive straight. When semi-trucks are empty, they are dangerous. Every wind can push them, right? Men, God has made you to be able to bear heavy loads, to be able to change amazing things in this life. Do not settle for our culture's idea of you as some spoiled frat boy who can't control himself. God says you are far more than that. Ladies, God says you are far more than a tool. You are more than that. Don't settle. We need to rebel against our culture. Swim upstream. Okay. So what do you do with that? I only touched on a couple things because there's like a whole wide range of things we can do. But I hope just from those few things we could put our finger on, you can see there's a better way to live in the light. So what do you do if you're in a place where you're like, man, I'm already kind of in the thick of it. I'm already doing my relationships way outside of what God has planned. Or maybe you feel like I'm at a point now where there's stuff I'm going to, I almost feel like I can't stop. What do you do? How do you begin to develop true intimacy and healthy intimacy in your life? Healthy relationships, pure relationships in your life. The first thing you have to do is repent. Repentance is the first step. And listen, repentance isn't a cuss word. Like some people say, repentance. Repentance is like the gateway to freedom. Can you imagine if there wasn't repentance, if that wasn't a tool that God gave us? Then you've got to sit under all your damaged stuff all your guilt and shame. But instead, God says, listen, come to me, confess your sins, and I will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all the unrighteousness. <gasps> he will forgive my sins and all those pathways, all those, cleanse me from unrighteousness. Repentance is the first step. I've been wrong, I've sinned. I need you to come and flood whatever darkness I've invited in with your light. Come on. And let me just be very clear. Transparency is not the same as repentance. Transparency is not the same thing as repentance. Just saying, hey, I'm broken, you're broken, we're all broken, here's how I'm broken, that is not repentance. 
Repentance is, I've been wrong. And I can see your righteous way is so good. So I'm throwing myself on your mercy. (laughs) And what does he do in that moment of surrender to his lordship? What does he do? Comes in and cleanses you. Begins to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Forgives your sin. The guilt and the shame, the brokenness, the hardness of heart. He begins to soften up our hearts. Come on, repentance is the first step. Repentance is the first step. The second step is, man, you've got to know who you are. You are a son or daughter of God. If you're a believer, if you are a believer, then you've been adopted into his family. You're not just forgiven. He brings you close as a son or a daughter. Your earthly family couldn't possibly have given you every single thing that you need because no parents are perfect. We tell our children that all the time. (laughs) No parents are perfect. But listen, God is perfect. And he'll be a father to the fatherless. Come on. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. You have worth. And he has a plan for your life. You don't have to use the world's tools to get the things you think you might need to be satisfied The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. He's already got a plan for you. You can follow it. It will be good. He is good. The second thing is you've got to practice moving toward connection and away from disconnection. If you want to foster true intimacy in your life, you can't stay isolated. You've got to practice intimacy, which means in uncomfortable conversations with people that you are moving toward intimacy with and friendship and a relationship, whatever it is, you've got to stay. And have hard conversations. You've got to actually show up and be who you are. Well, I'm afraid if I gave my opinion, they might be angry, they might be mad. Listen, in intimacy, both people are powerful. Both people get to be powerful. And so you might have some rough conversations when people are actually saying what they actually think and somebody else gets to say what they actually think. And then you figure out how to move toward connection. Come on. Just keeping the boat from rocking is not intimacy. And now we're back to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Listen, I if you need help walking through how you actually begin to develop intimate relationships, I want to encourage you come this Wednesday. Come this Wednesday at 6, because we're talking about identity being sons and daughters of God. And we're talking this week about walking out of lies that come from an orphan spirit. What's the opposite of adoption? the spirit of adoption? It's an orphan spirit. We're isolated, fearful of rejection, right? And all kinds of things. We went through whole lists last week. Listen, Satan is the biggest orphan without a home. And he'd love all of us to have no home. Right? He left his home in heaven. And he'd love all of us to carry around this orphan. Right? Our spirit just is without a home. So I encourage you, if you're like, man, I need help in just walking through intimacy. Come this Wednesday. If you can't come this Wednesday, email me. Text me. We can hang out. We can talk. Lamentations 3. I remember my affliction and my wandering because Israel has fallen. Right? The country has... They've turned their back on God. So Jeremiah, the prophet, says, I remember my affliction and my wandering with bitterness and gall. I well remember them. 
and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may still be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Thank you. To the one who would strike him. And let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Listen, you can't be hopeless about our country. You can't be hopeless about our culture. We are at a turning point. Light is getting lighter and darkness is getting darker. And we are primed for another great awakening. We're overdue by 10 years. for another great awakening. It's time. It's time. And it's not going to happen if we shrink back and feel like, man, our culture is so terrible. What's going on? We've got to rise up and live as children of light. Creation groans for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, Corinthians tells us. It's time for us to live as people of light. Satan has overplayed his hand. The statistics from the millennial generation and then kids coming up even um, beyond that who are just now hitting 16 and 17, depression rates so high, He's sold them a pack of lies. They've already experienced all this stuff. They're hitting 25, and they think, what am I living for? Come on. Listen, and they've not, many of them never heard the gospel. Do you know how light light will shine if that's your story and you're 25, 30 years old? You're ready for some hope. Come on. Come on. We live as people of hope because Jesus is on the move, and I want to be where he is. I want to go where he's going. You can't get upset. You can't get mad at the world. Listen, they don't know. They're broken, looking for love in all the wrong places. Of course they are. But we need to rise up. So listen, that starts individually with each one of us. So we need to say to God, every corner of my life, you come, you clean it out. Wherever I've invited darkness, bring light. That's our response to him. Would you stand? There's people that will be available to pray for you, whether you need healing in your body or you're responding to the sermon for whatever reason. But there's also some folks I've talked to where if you want to talk privately to someone, maybe there's a sexual struggle you've been in and, and you want to talk to somebody, there are some folks who prepared themselves for that. Um, Shanna, where's Shanna? Shanna, raise your hand. Shanna's back there. Becky Clanton. Ben Poxon. Ben, are you in here? Are you in the nursery? Oh, he's in kids' class. No, that's okay. Um, kids' class. And then Ken. Where's Ken? Ken, raise your hand. So if you're a visitor, you've seen two people, a woman and a man. There's four people total. Some of you know them. Um, but these are people you could talk to anytime. They will cheer for you. They don't care what, they don't care what you've stumbled into. They're going to be for you. I just want that in your mind so you know moving forward. But let's take some time to respond to God. Listen, for some of you, man, your life is a shambles at some point. 
and you've turned to God, you have repented, you've turned to him, maybe you still struggle with guilt and shame, he wants to heal you of that today. He wants to free you from that today. For some of you, there's dark places and you want God just to take that and bring light. He will do that for you today. For some of you, you need God to walk you through how to actually develop healthy relationships. He will do that for you. But let's take some time to respond to him. Worship and prayer to me. If you come on up, there's folks who can pray with you here on each side, as well as in the back, on that side and that side. Let's take some time to respond to God. Amen.
sitting next to someone who's young, younger than you. How about that? Maybe 30, 20, 15. Would you just lay a hand on their shoulder? We're just going to pray over them. Listen, for those of you who are um, younger, younger than me, our culture is coming against you hard. They want lemmings who agree on these issues. And if you don't agree on these issues of sexuality, they can be crushing. People can be crushing. Our culture can be crushing. So we just want to pray for you to be light in darkness. <laughs> God hasn't made you to be lemmings. He's made you to be thinkers. People who can see truth and live in light. People who can bear hard things and do great things. Women who are powerful and loved for who they are, not as commodities. Men who are loaded full, semi-truck loaded full, doing amazing things in this life. If you're near someone young, just begin to pray. I'm gonna pray over all of us. You just begin to pray. However the Holy Spirit directs you to pray, you just begin to pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we pray for this millennial and next generation. For Christians in this generation, be people of light, <laughs> powerful. Father, we pray for all the ways our culture wants to teach them to be hedonists, just feeding their flesh. Father, we pray they'd find a joy in putting their flesh to death and letting their spirit rise up and be alive in you. Father, we pray for strength in Jesus' name. We pray for every foul thing that's been put before their eyes, every foul thing that maybe is even taught to them. Father, in Jesus' name, 
we pray they would have truth meters that are so strong. Father, that even things an inch off, a quarter of an inch off, Father, they would know this isn't truth. Father, we pray they'd be hungry for your righteousness, hungry to live in your truth, Father. Father, we pray for a lightness in them, that they could speak truth, but it would be light and buoyant, and it would be beautiful for those who've never heard truth. Father, I pray for any struggles they have, God. All of us have to make decisions to follow you in areas of sexuality. All of us will have temptation. So, Father, I just pray where there are areas of temptation. Father, I just pray for the nearness of your spirit. (laughs) Father, they would know that your way is right. And if they will follow you, even in a hard decision, your yoke will be easy and your burden will be light. But their flesh will be a heavy yoke. A suffocating yoke and father I would I pray that in every moment of decision they could see the difference father that your ways are good <laughs> father I pray for an increasing love for the works of your hands father they would pursue the things that you have made them for God father I pray this be a generation that sees miracles Miracles, Father, that when they're talking to people they know who don't know you, they can demonstrate on the spot the goodness of your kingdom because you heal broken bodies, you raise the dead, you deliver the oppressed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we know we can't fully shield them from the world. But Father, we pray you'd make them powerful in it, God. They would be marauders in this world. Uh, taking land for you, taking land for you, moving, moving the goalposts, God, moving your kingdom forward, seeing what you're doing and believing you and doing it with you, Father. Father, we just pray for the enemy to be exposed. Expose him, God. Expose him on a grand scale. way he's tried to kill and destroy. Expose him. We refuse to join him in his homeless place because we have found a home in you. We are sons and daughters of God and you've made us for purpose. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. This is I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by Yeah. <laughs> it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by Yeah. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. 
Proud of you, but we'll have a chance to say goodbye to Nicole uh, next week. But today we get to hug and and love on Janae and Solomon. So take a chance, encourage each other, and encourage them as we send them off. Also, if you're visiting, um, I'm gonna be back too. I would love to meet you if you're a visitor. Um, we're just gonna be intentional; it will never happen. But before we do, would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and all the glory forever. Amen, amen. Love you, God bless you.